to the analytics, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Jazz and the NBA, this is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. Ben Anderson, Andy Larson, or Andy Larson, Ben Anderson. Andy's the uh, managing editor for Salt City Hoops. Find him on Twitter at Andy B. Larson. He's also the beat writer for the Utah Jazz at KSL.com. I'm the co-host of Gunther and Ben right here on ESPN 700, Monday through Friday. You can find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. Uh, we spend the next two hours, as we try to weekly. It's been a little rough lately with the uh, Utah basketball and the NCAA tournament. And then, of course, uh, jazz basketball playing on a lot of Tuesdays and Thursdays. We have not been able to host the show, but it's exciting to be back and uh, talking some jazz basketball and the NBA for the next two hours. And there's no better time to do it, as the Jazz figured out last night, that we're going to be taking on the Oklahoma City Thunder in the uh, in the uh, first round of the playoffs here. Andy, first of all, how are you? I'm great. Uh, I am a little bit sleep-deprived after you know a, a 6 a.m. flight from Portland to Salt Lake today. and uh, But, you know, it, it's... It's the exciting time of the season, right? Like if, if you're a basketball guy, this is the time of, of year that you live for. And so, you know, there's sure there's a lot of travel. There's a lot of, uh, up and down and, and there's a, there's a lot of X's and O's film study, that kind of thing that you have to do. But it's, it's so interesting. It's so fascinating. And I think the Jazz actually have the best series out of these eight, uh, matchups that we've got coming up this year. I thought there was a lot of potential for great series. I feel bad saying this. I thought there was a lot of potential for great series and we got what, two of them? Maybe yeah. one of like I thought. Oh man, this first round might be insane. The number of names and faces going up head to head that match up position wise could be absolutely brilliant. And then we just kind of got very few of them. Mm-hmm. It will get better as the playoffs go on, which is the good news. I don't think you're going to get a lot of teams eliminated that we don't want to see face each other before they get an opportunity to face each other. If that makes sense. Right. But uh, I, I think this first round of the playoffs might be, unfortunately, a little bit dull. We're going to talk about all of that today. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, I, I don't think this upcoming series will be. I think you know, like yeah, Jazz Houston will roll over Minnesota. Four games. Um, yep. And I, I, you know, I'm San Antonio, uh, Golden State. It's probably going to be not a close series unless San Antonio miraculously gets Kawhi back, and then it's a different story. But um, and then the Eastern Conference matchups are uh, maybe yeah, not as interesting as you would have hoped. But there are some good ones out there too. Toronto, Washington. I'm thinking of too. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's gonna be, it's gonna be interesting, but I think, you know, the Jazz, uh, Thunder series is, it actually, it reminds me a lot of last year where it was a matchup that I think coming into the playoffs, you would have rather had most other teams in that first round. Uh, but because, and the Jazz had 3-1 season series deficits to the Clippers last year, as they do with the Thunder. It's a star-laden lineup that they're playing. Instead of Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, it's Carmelo Anthony, Russell Westbrook, and Paul George. And I think the Jazz have a legitimate chance of of kind of breaking up the Oklahoma City Thunder with Paul George leaving in free agency and you know, be Carmelo great? Anthony being. <laughs> I mean, I, he'll you know he'll pick up his contract and be with Thunder next year. Well, I don't know. And as Cantor said, he's not going to do it. Maybe <laughs> Carmelo won't either. Yeah, yeah, that would be that would be dumb by both guys yeah. to to opt out. But yeah, it's it's one of those things where we could be seeing uh, a vastly different Oklahoma City Thunder franchise next year if the Jazz are able to win. Uh, and the Jazz will be able to win. I don't think, yeah. I'm not guaranteeing they will win, but the Jazz certainly can win this series. I, I've been saying this today, Andy. I'm curious if you agree with me, because I remember last year we were doing this. It was you, me, Zach Harper. We were preparing, preparing the Jazz and the Clipper show, which is crazy. I mean, I've been doing this with you for over a year now. Mm-hmm. I really didn't think, I mean, that's, that's been a while. <laughs> that's Good for good. us. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Um, 
I feel more confident in this series for the Jazz than I did the Clippers series last year. Hmm. Why is that? Because, I, well, first of all, we knew very little about the Jazz in the playoffs at that point. I mean, of any sense. They hadn't won a playoff series in seemingly forever. It was since the Darren Williams era, right? Since the Jazz yeah. had last won a playoff series. There were questions about what Gordon Hayward was going to do, though I thought the Jazz had done enough to bring him back. We'd never seen Rudy on that stage. Derek Favors was really unhealthy. George Hill was beat up by the end of the season. We didn't know what Rodney Hood or Joe Ingles were ever going to be able to give you. I didn't know. I knew Quinn Snyder was a good coach. I didn't know what he was going to do over a seven-game series. Not that I thought yeah. Doc Rivers was a good coach. But I look at this team now, and I just think, you know, they've been proving everybody wrong all season. Why wouldn't they go here and, and win yeah. it? You know, and they've been unbelievable down in the second half of the year. They've just been a great basketball team. The Jazz are as good as anyone else in the West right now. Not Houston. Probably not Golden else. State if they're fully healthy. But there's a reason they are tied with four other teams right now in the NBA and three other teams in the West and are a game ahead of the Spurs. Yeah, I mean, without Steph, I, I, you know, it, I think that's a close series with Golden right. State and, and Utah. And so, yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you when you look at how well the Jazz have been playing on the road, too. And, and so maybe not having home court advantage in, in the series isn't the worst thing for the Jazz because they have been able to win um, some of these big road games last night, notwithstanding, but you look at, say, the Minnesota Timberwolves game, which was maybe one of the biggest games, uh, in Timberwolves playoff history, again, notwithstanding last night, uh, and, and just some of these wins that they have been able to, to get on the road have been, have been really impressive, uh, and, and so, you know, they'll need, at least one of those uh, coming up in the next two weeks. Uh, we're going to talk to Fred Katz coming up at 8 o'clock, about an hour from right now. The beat writer for the Thunder is going to join us, giving us uh, the Oklahoma City perspective. Andy, do you want to answer questions first, then we'll kind of get down to our breakdown? Do you want to do breakdown, then answer some questions? How do you want to do it? Yeah, um, let's let's go breakdown first. Honestly, I haven't looked at the questions yet. So <laughs> um, let's, let's start with some of these breakdown questions, if you're good with that. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think maybe the biggest question is if you're, you know, just kind of a a new new set of eyes to this series is who defends Russell Westbrook. Um, Ricky Rubio has had some problems with that this year, staying in front of Russell Westbrook at sure. times. Honestly, every you know every point guard defender does. Do you have Dante Exum and his length and his speed kind of be able to to guard Westbrook? Before we get to that, okay, let's just say. Do the Jazz change their starting five for the series? No, and but you know, I, I think you can you can give if you want to go that way, you can give Rubio like a token start, or you know, okay, I think Rubio's too good to give a token start and then pull him off the floor. So let me say this because we actually have a lot of fans who have been tweeting at us, Andy, sure. or, or listeners, I should say, fans of basketball, fans of the Thunder, saying that they're tuning in to hear this breakdown. So Thunder fans, I don't want to just you know talk past you and assume you have this knowledge of the Jazz. But why would you watch the Jazz other than the few times a year you've seen them, mm-hmm. and you haven't seen them since December 23rd? So let's talk really quickly about what the Jazz starting lineup is. Ricky Rubio is your point guard. Donovan Mitchell is your shooting guard. Joe Ingles is your small forward. Derek Favors is your power forward. Rudy Gobert is your center. Sure. So those are your five guys to start. The Jazz, I don't think, I'm with you, they could potentially... Make a substitution in the starting lineup, but it would be for Derek Favors. It wouldn't be for one of the wings, I don't I think, early on. Uh, but but no, I I think you start with Ricky Rubio uh, yeah. on Russell Westbrook, and you run with what you've you know you dance with who brung you. Sure, I, I, but I I think you have you have a lot of leeway there. You have the ability to put Rubio or Donovan Mitchell on Corey Brewer to to start the game, or when you know if. Alex Sabrinas can play, given his concussion symptoms, maybe he can't. Um, even Josh Eustace, you know, you, you can move Ricky Rubio around on different guys if you want to or let him play a little bit of free safety, if you will. 
Uh, and then honestly, I think you can start Ricky Rubio and then he may not be the best option to end the game, even though he, he has been playing really well over the second, second half of the season. If you're looking to stop Russell Westbrook, and, and I think he is the kind of player that's going to be taking more shots at the end of games, has, has shown that, uh, you know, I, I want to say clutch gene, but the, the want to to take those kind of shots at the end, then maybe you want that length of a, of a Dante Axema or a Royce O'Neal, um, or even a Jay Crowder defending uh, Russ. I think Jay might be just a little bit too slow too for slow. Russ in general, yeah. but uh, Royce and Dante, I think, have a chance. Uh, so I, I go Russell. Uh, I go Russell Westbrook versus Ricky Rubio to start. I don't put Donovan Mitchell on Russell Westbrook as often as possible. Okay, because that's the one guy you can least afford offensively to have off the floor for long stretches, sure. other than Rudy Gobert. And there's a real chance Rudy Gobert could get into foul trouble in this series because of Russell Westbrook, because of Paul George, because of Stephen Adams. So you got to make sure that he's protected. Now he's got to go out and do his job. He's still got to uh-huh. be the best rim protector in the NBA, and he will be. But I think offensively, you just have to have Donovan Mitchell on the floor, able to give you as much as he can. And this isn't the first time we've seen the Jazz do this. Last year, they put uh, Gordon Hayward on Luke Richard and Bob Mute sure. to hide him there because you didn't want him to have to guard Chris Paul for stretches, even though the Jazz would go big on Chris Paul because they put Joe Ingles on him for stretches. Right. And they didn't put Gordon Hayward out there. Maybe in a late game scenario, once or twice you saw it, but but really not long term. Yeah, and it, you know I think that made sense, especially with the when the Clippers were playing big uh, with Blake Griffin and and you know DeAndre Jordan. Gordon Hayward's your small forward. Bamute was their small forward. You know that that matchup made sense, uh, and you know I think that was that was kind of the one to one way to do it. It kind of watching. So I've watched one and a half of these four Jazz Oklahoma City games so far. Um, and, and Donovan Mitchell actually does spend a lot of time on Russell Westbrook, and I think he did a pretty good job of it. But I agree that it it may impact what he does offensively. And maybe what we learned from last night is you need Donovan Mitchell at a hundred percent, making the right decisions on the floor if if you're going to have a chance to be a, a reasonable offensive team. Correct. Uh, so I think Ricky Rubio is your main guy. Okay. Uh, let's go next to the next best offensive player on this team. That's Paul George. Uh-huh. I, I don't think there's any question you go Joe Ingles there, though potentially you could go Joe Ingles on Carmelo Anthony. And if you think Paul George is going to be playing more power forward, you could put Derek Favors there, but I think that might be a little dicey. And again, this is where I, I like, this is maybe my bigger point with the, the Rubio and Paul George question is in my mind, maybe the bench guys you have are more well suited to defend Oklahoma City's offense than your starters in some way. Like, I I don't know that Joe Ingles is a great matchup for Paul George. I think he can do a good job, but it's it's not the same thing as trailing JJ Redick around screens. Paul George does that occasionally, but it's it's not his main source of offense. It's uh, Paul George is a much more physical player, and 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 Ingles has had maybe some troubles with that, and uh, on post up players especially. And I think that's that's happened a couple of times uh, in, in those Oklahoma City games that I've watched. Uh, and and that's where you know having that toughness of a Jay Crowder or again a Royce O'Neal may pay some dividends on on defending Paul George. But then yeah, you got to go back to the offensive end of the floor, and and maybe the Jazz are so consistent defensively that uh, and again last night is is a good example of this. The Jazz played good defense last night. It was really just the offense didn't work out. Uh, maybe the number one priority for Quinn Snyder needs to be worrying about the offense first, and and who defends Paul George and Russell Westbrook second. Uh, what do you think? I, I mean, I, I think probably offense first has to be your approach and, okay. and see if you can score. And then, yeah, I think you, you, you have to keep then 
your best offensive lineup is Ricky Rubio, Donovan Mitchell, and Joe Ingles. Uh, and then you're just kind of trying to figure out who's guarding who. Who do you who do you basically put on Corey Brewer and Hyde? So let me ask you this. And I don't disagree with you that Donovan Mitchell makes the most sense to do that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I don't think that's a question. I mean, I don't think that's going to be a surprise at all when we see that, especially if Corey Brewer, who is expected to play in Game One on Sunday. I know we sprained his knee yesterday. Uh, Shams from Yahoo Sports tweeted out earlier today that he's getting treatment on that leg and is planning to play. Yeah, I don't know what that actually means. I think they want him to play. I think, yeah, I think they're going to put up a smoke screen, even if he's not going to play. Why would you announce that he's out? You exactly. know, don't game plan for him. And then if he's not there, then you have to adjust. Good for the good for the Thunder. And if he does have a sprained knee, and Corey Brewer is a guy who does, you know, is not the most skilled player in the world, right? Like it, right. he is like an athleticism defense guy. If he has a sprained knee and it affects his his lateral movement, um, he could be. I don't know if played off the floor is the right word because honestly, Oklahoma City just doesn't have many options on the wing at all, but. Uh, an, an easy target for the Jazz on both ends. Uh, so here's what I would do. Well, l- let me ask you this. What do you do? You've got Dante Exum, who I think plays in this series. I think he's yeah. your primary backup point guard, but he, we're talking seven minutes a game, you I know, ten minutes that. a game. I think more than that because, again, I like his athleticism defending Russell Westbrook if you need it. But he can lose you a game. Yeah. I mean, he was really so, bad last he night. He was bad last I mean, so night. So was Donovan Mitchell. He didn't Mitchell. lose the Jazz. Okay, you're right. Game. But he was really bad last night. And if he's that bad, you probably can't play him. Yeah, it's a, I agree. So you have to play him in, in you know the first and second quarter. And then if he if he is bad, then I don't know that you you find a way to make it work in, in the third and fourth. That you, you may not have to play Dante. But you bring Dante in. You also have Royce O'Neal. And for fans who are just kind of either getting interested in the Jazz or Thunder fans that are listening, uh, Royce O'Neal is, is the Jazz best on-ball defender. And yes. it's not particularly close. He's yes. really very good. Do you put him coming off the bench on Russ, or do you put him on Paul George? I think I'd put him on Russ. I, uh, I agree. I totally agree with you. And in fact, I might put Dante on Paul George. Okay. Dante's six foot six. Paul George is what six eight. Yeah. It's not this enormous difference. I like that matchup more for Dante than I think I do putting him on Russell Westbrook because I think he just get too lost. Yeah, you know, I, I I haven't thought of that, but I think you're probably right. Um, and especially with Dante's uh. Dante fouls a lot, right? Like, right. and whether or not that that's the referees, you know, not giving him the benefit of the doubt or whatever, as Jazz fans have argued, doesn't matter. Dante fouls a lot. Uh, and Russell is really good at, at drawing those kind of fouls. I, I think maybe having Dante on, on him, uh, is begging for those kind of easy points. Uh, I think putting him on Paul George would be an interesting yeah. strategy, and I think Royce O'Neal's better. He's stronger, and I think that's actually the type of thing you want against Russell Westbrook. And I think you're right; he's better at not biting on that pump fake. He's better at not, you know, getting himself up in the air accidentally. Not that Russell Westbrook is James Harden as far as going to draw the, you know, the foul on the three point shot. He more go to the rim, throw your body into you, and try and draw the foul there. That's more Russell Westbrook style. But even then, I think that you're going to get a, a better defense from. Uh, from Royce O'Neal than you would from uh, from Donovan Mitchell in that, or I should say from Dante Exum there. Agreed. So I, I, that's how I would approach it. That that's what my uh, uh, approach would be. But I, I won't be surprised if Quinn Snyder just throws everything he can at, at Russell Westbrook, and that might be the right idea. But also, is there a thought, Andy, that fine if Russ wants to try and get twenty five shots up and beat you, isn't that the best thing to do against the Thunder? I don't think so, honestly. Okay. You know, I, I I don't think that's the right approach because uh, you've got. Carmelo Anthony, and honestly, I would rather have him take 25 shots than Russell Westbrook take 25 shots. And Paul George is so up and down with his game that, like, there are times when the Thunder have called upon Paul George to win him games on the offensive end of the floor, and they, and he hasn't been able to do it. He he is not the game in, game out kind of offensive scorer that, 
they they have wanted and needed him to be at times. And so uh, if if I'm Quinn, I'm looking number one at preventing uh, maybe not. Uh, okay, uh, probably number one at preventing Russell Westbrook. And honestly, my number two guy on, on my scouting report is maybe not Paul George and maybe not Carmelo Anthony, but it's Steven Adams. Well, Steven Adams. And is figuring un- out how to deal with him. Okay, he's averaging 14 points a year, uh, 14 points a game this year. He's shooting <laughs> 63% from the floor. Those are yeah. crazy numbers. To score that often, that efficiently, he's really tough. Now, I do think a lot of Jazz fans have been worried about the Steven Adams-Rudy Gobert matchup because you've heard that Steven Adams outplayed Rudy Gobert in their draft workout, and it's already it's always eaten at, uh, at Rudy Gobert, and he's always tried to find revenge and can't do it. You look at their head-to-head matchups, though Steven Adams' teams have won the majority of the times, 10 of the 14, and I tweeted this out earlier, at Andy B. Larson is Andy. You can follow me on Twitter, at Ben's Hoops. Rudy Gobert's numbers have actually been very solid. Yeah. And he's actually outplayed Steven Adams every time they've played. I, I think they're good. I, I think what I'm worried about um, is especially on the offensive glass. And that's where Steven Adams has, honestly, he's the best offensive rebounder in the league. The Thunder are the best offensive rebounding team in the league. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that's where Steven Adams gets a lot of his joy and, and has pushed around Rudy Gobert at times in, in matchups in their careers. Uh with Rudy Gobert back this season, though, the Jazz are the number one defensive rebounding team in the league. So it's, you know, the, the football good offense versus a good defense kind of thing. It's that, but on the glass. And I think who ends up with Oklahoma City's misses is going to turn at least one game in the series. Uh, it, we have a question coming in here, and we're kind of talking about some of the things we've talked about. Pete underscore or P underscore E underscore T <laughs> underscore E Pete underscore Pusher, yeah. uh, Pete on Twitter says Rubio history versus Westbrook. Uh, here, I'll just give you the numbers really quick. They've played 17 times. Russ has won 12 of the 17 times, which, again, is not. I, I Don't read into anything like that because Russ has only been on his own for two years. Otherwise, he always had Kevin Durant, who was the second-best player in the league, and the Thunder were very good. But Russell Westbrook has been brilliant. 24 mm-hmm. points, 9 assists, actually 10 assists, 8 rebounds. He shoots 46% from the floor and 39% from the three-point line. In fact, you look at any head-to-head point guard matchup, that might be the best Russell Westbrook plays, yeah. period, because he's really efficient scoring the ball there as well. And it's funny, you you talk to Minnesota fans who have obviously been watching Ricky Rubio for longer than, than we have, and it's they say that for whatever reason, Russell Westbrook gets up for games against Ricky Rubio. It's not necessarily that Ricky Rubio is playing him poorly, it's just that Westbrook seems to have something against Rubio. I don't know if it's his uh, you know, kind of annoying style of defense or or whatever it is maybe it's a u.s versus spain thing i have no idea but for whatever reason classic westbrook classic rivalry yeah westbrook gets up against rubio in their history again this is according to minnesota fans and i think we've seen it at times this season that he seems to be motivated to to go right at him draw those fouls and, and do what what westbrook does so well uh and on the flip side ricky rubio plays quite terribly Against Russell Westbrook. Seven points a game, six assists, two steals, three rebounds. He shoots 37%, 36% from the floor, and 28% from the three-point line. Then again, Ricky Rubio hasn't been a very good player for a lot of his career. He's yeah. an okay player, but he hasn't been a very good player. But uh, those are well below his averages. Yeah, and he, but he is better now than he was then. Yes. But you'll have to hope to see that, that you can get that good Ricky Rubio out of him. See if you can get this quality Ricky Rubio out of him, which you've never seen against uh, uh, Russell Westbrook so far in his career. Yeah, that's definitely an open question. And of course, we haven't seen Rubio in the playoffs either. And this is when teams love having a guy who has some shooting weaknesses on the floor, right? You know, whether that's Tony Allen or whatever that looks like, Rajon Rondo, teams game plan for 
those kind of players. Yeah. And and Ricky Rubio, I don't know, has had that level of game planning yet in his in his NBA career. Uh, Here's I, a fun stat, though. Yeah, who's a better three point shooter this year, Ricky or Russell Westbrook? Probably Ricky Rubio. No, no question, <laughs> Ricky Rubio. Who's taking more attempts? Oh, certainly Russell Westbrook. Okay, Russ averages four attempts a game. He shoots twenty nine percent. Wow, that's. Crazy. I think actually it's a record. I think he's one of only a few players who have ever done it. And he might have the lowest shooting percentage of anyone who's ever done it. Okay. That's, that's, yeah, that's remarkable. That's uh, Russell Westbrook. You get the good and the bad. They're so good. There's so mm-hmm. much that's so good. And there's a, a little bit that's really bad. You know what you saw last night, Jazz fans, from Donovan Mitchell when you said, eh, that's the bad. 23 shots and 17 points. Russell Westbrook can do that. He can be that guy one for eight from the three point line. Russ does that. I was surprised just looking it up now. They hit the same number of three-point shots per game, Rubio and Westbrook. Yeah, and That's, and Donovan, or, or I should say uh, Westbrook, takes at least one more game, right? Takes .7 more. .7 more, yeah. So, yeah, it's, I, I'm I'm surprised that the number of shot attempts is that close. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, you know, obviously that's that's the weakness of, of Russell Westbrook. Uh, do you want to keep breaking down more yeah, questions more, that we have? One more thing on okay. Ricky Rubio real quick. Uh, I, I'm also really curious to see... Uh, how he, uh, not only this, this matchup with Westbrook, but uh, uh, if Dante, if he ends up playing next to Dante Exum or if the Jazz, if, if we do continue to see this trend with Ricky Rubio struggling against Westbrook, uh, that if we go no point guard, which is something that the Jazz have done at times with maybe Donovan Mitchell at the point guard, Royce O'Neal at the two, maybe even Joe Ingles playing point, point guard, Royce O'Neal at the two at times, just because uh, you know, if, if Ricky Rubio is off, I don't know that you have the time to give him that leash that, uh, the Jazz have at times this year. Uh, I, I agree. Uh, okay. You can tweet at us at Andy B. Larson, at Ben's Hoops on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, questions. We'd like to hear from you. Um, let's go down through these a little bit. Adam mm-hmm. Rylewski. Do you think the coaching staff has said anything to Jay Crowder about his shot selection? It's very confusing how Jay is allowed to take the shots he does and how strong Quinn usually is with Alec, Dante, etc. Let me say this. Uh, first of all, you need to have a big guy taking as many threes as, the, as Jay Crowder is. Now, maybe not those exact threes that he takes, yeah. but spreading the floor is what Jay Crowder was brought here to do, whether he's doing it efficiently or not yet. Is is a different conversation, but he was brought here to help spread the floor. I have like no problem with ninety percent of the three point shots he takes. You know, three point shots are just good shots, pretty much in general. Right. Yeah, and and he's been missing more than his fair share, and that's fair. And you maybe you expect him to get better, maybe you don't. I I but in terms of him taking those three point shots, I think that's important. I'm not a fan of like the dribbling into mid range pull ups that aren't open. Yeah. Uh, those kind of things. Sometimes oh, it's, last night it's he shot passed clock. up an open three for like a dribble right. in 18. That's real bad. Thought, oh. Yeah. Uh, I, I get what Adam's saying is like, it's confusing how Jay is allowed to take the shots when, how, with how strong Quinn usually is with Alec and Dante. The difference, of course, as it always is, is defense, right? Like, sure. That's the same thing with Royce O'Neal and, and honestly his, some of his shot selection or his turnover decision problems is, uh, Alec and Dante are, Alec is a horrific defensive right. player who has actually improved a little bit this year, but he's, you know, still real bad. Dante hasn't been consistent on it's that inconsistent, end of the yeah. and, and doesn't always execute the system. And so that's, that's what it's always about, been about for Quinn, right? It's defense first and Jay does it really well. The other guys don't. Well, and look, watch the. Where is your point guard and shooting guard defender, which is what uh, Dante and Alec Burks play? Where is their defender usually when they have the ball? They're usually 19, 20 feet away from the basket. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, where is Jake? Where where is a power forward defender traditionally? Ten feet away from the basket. Yeah. Well, if Jake Crowder's shooting three threes a game and makes one of them, you have to guard him every time he shoots it. Right. You have to guard him every single time he shoots it because he is good enough to hit three in a game, four in a game. He is he is good enough to do that. And that just opens up the floor. I mean, it really is about just stretching that defense and maybe not even just specifically for that play, even though that play is beneficial because a good three is a good three. But for the next play down the floor, Jay Crowder's a decoy standing out on the three-point line, and it opens up the drive. And he's been decent enough at when he does uh, attack the closeout and drive. When he does pass it, I, I think he's taken a lot of bad shots out of those opportunities. But when he does pass it, I think he's done a good job of setting up his teammates. All right, this is the Salt City Hoop Show. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we got a lot of questions coming in at Andy B. Larson, at Ben's Hoops. We want to hear from you. Stick around. The Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Utah Sports Radio's Odd Couple are back together again weekday afternoons here on ESPN 700. to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Give me some new sh- Give me some new sh- Salt City Hoops Show, ESPN 700, 732, Andy Larson, Ben Anderson. Andy's the beat writer for the Utah Jazz at KSL.com. He's going to be on the road covering the team as they get ready to take on the Oklahoma City Thunder coming up on Sunday. You're going to stay through Wednesday, come back, and I think we'll be back in Oklahoma. This yeah. is not going to be a four-game series. It's not going to be a four-game series. I, I've booked my flight and hotel for game five. Oh, good. I'm, you know, confidence. That's Hope you're ready to eat that, that money. Much, the Jazz sweep them. Hey, I, I booked it on Southwest. You know, did the so whole. So it wasn't that much so money. I'm just kidding. I don't know. I'm sure <laughs> no, it's really expensive. You can, you can cancel flight, flights on Southwest, and they, they give you all your money back. They should sponsor the show then. Uh, that, my bad. Uh, no, it's good. I'm just that's saying. A, that's a good read. That's Southwest, good, call us. Like, someone's going to book and be like, well, this this is a questionable. I'm going to book with those people. Yeah. Because I don't know if I'm going to make this flight or not. Uh, all right. Should we get to some questions? Yeah. Uh, tweet at us, at Andy B. Larson, at Ben's Hoops on Twitter. I'm also the co-host of the Gunther and Ben, uh, Monday through Friday, right here on ESPN 700. Questions. We'll take them. Uh, we'll already answer some of the ones that are uh, that have come up as well. Yeah, uh, Tyler Stone asks, how much is Oklahoma City's playoff experience going to influence this series versus the lack of playoff experience for the Jazz? Uh, I think we saw a little bit of this last night, and one reason why I thought last night was so important for the Jazz that they got that initial playoff physicality punch from the Portland Trailblazers, and it and it hurt them. You know, I I think we saw a, a real lack of ball movement, a real lack of. Uh, a surprising lack of speed from the Jazz, and I think it was because you know Portland was fouling them in the way that Oklahoma City will foul the Jazz over and over again, and it's not going to be called. You know that's that's just the way that it is. Uh, and so the Jazz kind of having to deal with that adversity last night, hopefully, will set them up for Game One and Game Two, so they're they're not surprised by the the playoff physicality and the style of play. Um, they still might be, and and obviously Westbrook and Paul George and. Mello and, and Steven Adams know that much better than the Jazz do, but, uh, I, I think it's, and I think it will influence the series. I, I, I think last night with really helps with that. Uh, I think there's, I, I not gonna read too much into what we saw yesterday. You're not? From the Jazz. Okay. Okay. First of all, the Blazers have played the Jazz well this year. Now I know the Jazz had won a couple of games there and they beat Portland on the road by 30 at one point. And you thought, oh, the Jazz have this matchup. If you watch those, they were good against Donovan Mitchell. Now, again, mm-hmm. Donovan Mitchell's numbers were actually really good against Portland this year. His splits against Portland were kind of bizarre. Uh, he had high averages and shot the ball well. But I remember a few times watching that matchup and thinking, 
that is a team that really knows how to trap Donovan Mitchell high. And you actually didn't see that very much last night, but they did it for a stretch and got the ball out of Donovan's hands to the point where he couldn't even get it across half court yeah. for a little while. And he's learned since how to adjust to that and be better than that. But I-, I thought that was a tough matchup for the Jazz. And then they're so good with Dame and C.J. McCollum with their ability to just make unbelievable shots. Even for a good defensive team like the Jazz that play good defense for 20 seconds yeah. and they hit a better shot late, that makes you feel like you're doing a bad job even when you're not. Yeah, I, I wasn't really worried about the defense at all last night. I thought the Jazz played pretty good defense right. given the the level of shot making that Dame and CJ showed. Um, the offense, I, I think, is is going to be a little bit of slog against the Thunder. I, th- I think it is. You know, um, first of all, you know, you you are counting a lot on Donovan Mitchell, and it's it's really convenient for them that Andre Roberson is is out. Uh, and then if if I think Stephen Adams' physicality and and especially his ability to prevent Rudy Gobert from rolling to the rim with the timing he wants has shown to to slow the Jazz's offenses down. Offense down, you know, so much of the Jazz's offense is about that threat of Rudy Gobert going to the rim, getting an alley oop, and, and and dunking it. And without that threat, with Stephen Adams kind of holding his hips a little bit, preventing him from rolling, uh, that means that the Thunder don't have to help, and the you know Joe Ingles doesn't doesn't get the corner threes. They don't kind of get that blender going, and I, I think that's a real worry. But then again, the Thunder do give up a ton of corner threes. Sure. The Thunder do give up a lot of three-point shots. The Thunder aren't that good at stopping the three-pointer. And as much as that's what you do for 82 games and you can change a little bit in the postseason, you can't just relearn new habits in two days. I mean, there are some things that the Thunder don't do well that the Jazz will exploit, and Quinn Snyder's a good enough coach to know how to exploit those. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. And I think it's just with Rudy especially, I think that physicality can throw him off. I think we've seen that before. Yeah, for sure. Maybe maybe not as much in the last three months, but if you look at how teams— So, for example, the the Jazz get— three-point shots, you know, not only in the Rudy corner way that I kind of just described, but they also do these back backside pin-down screens for Joe Ingles on the perimeter um, that that kind of give him that open wing three kind of early in possessions. I think you you know what play I'm talking yep. about. Uh, that kind of stuff, Oklahoma City, you're right, has been terrible at guarding because Russell Westbrook is is really gambly on those sort of plays or he falls asleep and, and their perimeter defenders aren't staying attached to those kind of guys. Um, and that's those are the kind of threes I think the Jazz can get. I think they're going to be more above the break threes rather than their corner ones. Next question. Uh, <laughs> this one from Independent George is honest question: Is Carmelo Anthony the laziest overall player you've covered? If not, do you have someone who outlazies him? I posted this play uh, earlier today where Carmelo Anthony actually runs down the floor to get the ball on the fast break, and then once he doesn't get it from Russell Westbrook, just continues to run out of bounds. To the point where Paul George wanted to pass it to him, except yeah. his guy, you know, Melo was five feet out of bounds at this point. It was it was a lazy play, and then Melo didn't get back. Um, he's not the laziest player, though. No, I've seen Jaleel Okafor play. Yeah, that I mean, way lazy. <laughs> yeah. There's some lazy players. There's out some there. lazy. Exactly. Uh, but Carmelo's gonna hurt his team by by doing some things wrong. He's gonna yeah. hurt the Thunder this series by doing some things wrong. I, I don't know how much of a plus he's gonna be. You know, I, I, this. The only question is if if is he such a terrible mismatch for Derek Favors that that can be exploited? I actually no. don't think it is. I don't. But at all. I could say, oh well, if you don't think Derek Favors can guard him twenty five feet away from the hoop and that changes the series, maybe maybe he'll hit. No, it's, uh, maybe I, he'll hit six threes in the series that you look at and say, well, that was it. Those were big threes. But I'm not expecting that. And I think Derek Favors is probably a better player than Carmelo Anthony. Yes. Yeah. I, I, honestly, I'm not expecting that at all. I, again, watching these Oklahoma City Jazz games from earlier on in the season, 
the Jazz, uh, so they, they were, Oklahoma City was running this four or five pick and roll where Carmelo Anthony would get switched on Rudy Gobert and then have kind of these ISO situations where he was really excited to attack Rudy and Rudy just swallowed him up. Like Carmelo doesn't have the speed anymore to, to deal, to get by Rudy Gobert. Right. And if he doesn't have the speed to get by Rudy, Fave can hang with him for sure, for you sure. know? Like I, I, I think Carmelo Anthony is a real liability in this series. It's just that I don't know that Oklahoma, Oklahoma City has any any better options, nor are they going to go away from him, I don't think, uh, just because they haven't shown the willingness to do that so far this year. J Money Sports on Twitter. Outside of the star players, who will be the difference makers in this series for the Jazz or the Thunder? I think for the Jazz, it's easy. It's Joe Ingles. I was going to say, yeah, Joe Ingles, um, and I'll, I'll say Royce O'Neal too, uh, for, because of the defense, what we said before, he's the best on ball defender for the Jazz. And that's going to be really valuable in this series with two legitimate stars in, in Russell Westbrook and Paul George. And there's two easy names for the Thunder that people hate, but are, are, well, actually, let's say three. First is Corey Brewer, who people I think have slept on a little bit. We'll see yeah. if that knee is right because he's, he's changed that team a little bit. When he's out there and he's good, and this actually really impacts Donovan Mitchell, they can switch Russ. Corey Brewer and Paul George, one through three, onto whoever's got the ball and be really good defensively still. Russell Westbrook isn't always a good defender, but when he's locked in, he's a very good defender. We saw that against James Harden, James Harden a couple of days ago. The name who Jazz fans are going to hate by the end of the series is Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant mm-hmm. makes enough hustle plays, athletic plays, that point where you think, oh man, finally Steven Adams is off the floor, or finally you know they don't have their stars on the floor. And then Jeremy Grant and Raymond Felton are hitting big shots and yeah. making big plays. Those are guys who who Jazz fans are going to hate by the end of the series. Maybe I, I I'm I'm skeptical on the Jeremy Grant side of things. Okay. Uh, you're right that he's capable of those kind of plays. I think he's exactly what you saw last night from Ed Davis, but a more talented player. And Ed Davis was good last night against the Jazz. And when you're talking about like loose ball plays and and those sort of things, offensive rebounds for dunks that you say like you got the defensive stop, you did your job for 20 seconds, and then you still gave up two points, and those are backbreakers. See, but he only has two offensive rebounds. Oh no, I'm looking at Terrence Ferguson. My bad. This this explains everything. Terrence Ferguson's a Terrence terrible Ferguson basketball is player. Not the guy I'm worried about. Uh, yeah, Jeremy Grant can make those plays. Uh, and uh, you're right. I, I you know maybe so he's going to be getting more of those. It's funny how I, I I like how they've used him as a as a center this year. Yeah. Um, and you're right. I, I think it might be a problem. He's he's the kind of guy who can make shots around the rim. Was he shooting? If he's three? scoring like he 12 randomly... to 17 points a game, like he has in the last eight, it's going to be a problem. I, I I don't think he plays that big of a role. He's he's like a Luke Richard and Bob Mute from last year. Would Jazz fans remember how many times Bob Mute hit threes in the first round? You just thought like, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> That's not who he is. He doesn't hit threes, and then he did in that series because the Jazz left him open to shoot threes. Jeremy Grant's that guy. Mm-hmm. Jeremy Grant okay. is only a th- 30% three-point shooter for his career, just 29% this season, but takes one and a half a game, so he's not afraid to take them. There's going to be a game when he takes four and he's going to hit two of them, and it might change the game. Yeah, that's true. Uh, their bench has been way better than I thought it way would Way be. better than you would think it was, just by st- based on those names alone. And they've played a lot of minutes without their their three guys on the court. You know, They've they've played a lot of minutes with that, like Jeremy Grant, Terrence Ferguson, uh, Alex Abrinas, Raymond Felton look, and it's... It hasn't been awful. It's it's worked pretty well, and I think you have to give Patrick Patterson. I should throw in there too. I think you have to give some credit to those guys individually for for making it work, um, at least a little bit on the on the defensive end too. Ray Felton, you know, is a guy obviously played in the Clippers series last year and and did a decent job against the Jazz, although uh, fell apart in in Game Seven. All right, should we take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll talk more about some of your questions at Andy B Larson. Andy's the beat writer for the Utah Jazz at KSL.com. I'm the host of uh, Gunther and Ben here on ESPN 700 Monday through Friday. 
you want to ask questions about the Thunder and the Jazz, we'll take and we'll answer them coming up next. Andy Larson, Ben Anderson, the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. How would you like to be in the house when the Jazz open the playoffs? Keep listening to ESPN. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700, Andy Larson, Ben Anderson. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to talk to the beat writer for the Oklahoma City Thunder, Fred Katz. He's going to join us. Stick around for that. Andy's the beat writer for the Utah Jazz at KSL.com. You can tweet at him, at Andy B. Larson. You can tweet at me, at Ben's Hoops. I'm the co-host of Gunther and Ben right here, ESPN 700, Monday through Friday. All right, Andy, we have more questions coming in. We're asking, uh, you, you want to talk Jazz? You want to talk Thunder? Send us a tweet. At Andy B. Larson, at Ben's Hoops on Twitter. Yeah, uh, let's let's see. We we talked about Jay Crowder's uh, shot selection. Uh, other than that, I I don't know that we have any specific questions that I've missed. Okay. in our in our. How about list. this? This is a very non-specific question, but it's a big question. Just wanting you guys to break down, and maybe Josh Patterson's being a little facetious here. Just wanting you guys to break down the matchup between the Thunder. Thoughts on the four guys in Westbrook, Adams, Mello, and George. And what you think Snyder will do regarding a game plan? Thanks. Yeah, um, I mean, so yeah, we we've talked First about of all, that a little bit. Let's talk about how you aspect. game plan them in order. You think Russ is your number one guy? I do. Who's who's two? I I really do think it's Stephen Adams. You might be right. It might be Stephen Adams, um, which I think is a game plan in itself. I mean, that's a sense of that you're going to have to let somebody beat you at some point, and that's why you add so many talent. That's why you add so many stars to teams. Sure. The more stars you have, the further down you have to go on a game plan to hope that to hope that a scrub beats you. If mm-hmm. you have five guys who are very good, you never get to that scrub that you hope has to beat you. Right. And, and to me, Steven Adams is the the one of the plays I'm worried about most, and maybe the play you're worried about most, is the Russell westbrook Stephen Adams pick and roll, right? And so being able to both stop Ru- Russell Westbrook from getting to the rim, stop Russell Westbrook from being wide, wide open on that 15-foot pull-up shot that really he's, he's very good at, and stopping Steven Adams at the rim are... are Three things that you just have to do. You know, I, I, I think it's, you can make some tough shots happen and, and Russ is, is really prone to turnovers on that play, but you have to kind of force him into those. And I think that's what you, what you have to worry about. And then Steven Adams at, on the glass, uh, he is the first guy in, in NBA history to have more offensive rebounds than defensive rebounds with the number of total rebounds he's had. He's you know, averaging so what nine rebounds a game. He's got a big sample size. Yeah. Uh, and okay, here's an interesting topic. And talking point that the Thunder are the number one offensive rebounding team in the NBA, and with Rudy Gobert, the Jazz are the number one defensive rebounding team in the NBA. And there's a lot of discussion on whether or not you should offensive rebound or not at all. I mean, that's kind mm-hmm. of a thing that people have debated in the NBA. Some coaches really like it, some coaches really hate it. The Jazz almost never offensive rebound. I mean, as soon as a shot goes up, yeah. four guys run the other direction. Uh, this is going to be a weird matchup because last night you saw offensive rebounds from the Portland Trailblazers, guys like Ed Davis, who's one of the best in the NBA. It makes it feel like you're doing a bad job. It makes it feel like you're losing. But I imagine coaches at some point just say, you know what? I mean, we have to grab the defensive rebounds, and that's why the Jazz are so good. But you you look big picture, and you say over the course of time, us getting back or, or us being able to take advantage of them not getting back outweighs overdoing it on the offensive rebounding side. And honestly, that's that's never more true against the than it is against the Thunder. When you have Russell Westbrook in transition, he's just impossible to yeah. stop. So you need to have two, maybe even three guys there as a wall to stop him from getting out in transition and, and being able to score. And honestly, the Jazz may be the best team in the league at forming that wall, building it, and stopping teams from doing that. Build a wall. Yeah, as in the infamous Stan words of, Van Gundy would yes. say. 
the, the Jazz up version. actually did out offensive rebound out offensive rebound the the uh, Blazers last night, fourteen to seven. Oh, interesting. Um, and and you know I think Rudy Gobert is is a good offensive rebounder on his own. I I just I'm curious to see the the defensive rebounding help that Rudy Gobert gets. The Jazz have been very good in these last three months at at sending guys like Royce O'Neal and and Ricky Rubio and even Joe Ingles a little bit to to get those defensive rebounds. Jay Crowder is gives you is a little bit uh well he's I'll just say he's a bad defensive rebounder right like he's just not athletic enough to yeah. get some of those boards. He's not big enough. He's just not yeah. a very big guy. Yeah, he's you know when you're playing him at the power forward you're you're giving up something and that's that's one of the things. That's going to be a good matchup. I mean, that's going to be rebounding going to be huge in this in this yeah. series, and it's kind of silly to say rebounding always matters, but you know, it's one of the main stats that people look at for a reason. Rebounding is huge; it gives you a possession. And I think sometimes rebounding stats are kind of fool's gold, right? Like it's you look at a game and, and see one team won the rebounding battle. Like, well, that's just because you missed more shots, right? Like, you know, I, I think a lot of times that happens where you you just look at the team that has has won the rebound rebounding battle and. You force more misses from your opponent. Of course, you're going to get more defensive rebounds. But uh, with the way that the Thunder compete on the offensive glass, and really, it's it's a one man compete. It's it's Stephen Adams and and really Russell Westbrook gets a few. But um, the Jazz will need to be at their very best as far as boxing uh, boxing out Stephen Adams and, and the Thunder and, and ending those possessions, especially late. I sent out a tweet earlier today looking at the numbers between Stephen Adams and Rudy Gobert. We mentioned it a little bit already. But uh, here's your averages. Rudy Gobert in the 14 matchups against Stephen Adams averages 7.8 points. Stephen Adams averages 7.7 points. Now also understand this. In this matchup, averages, Rudy Gobert only plays 24 minutes a game. Stephen Adams only plays 25 minutes a game. Rudy Gobert is going to be up well over 30 minutes in this series, as will Stephen Adams. So Rudy's played fewer minutes than Adams here. I bet you Rudy plays more than Stephen Adams in this series. Maybe not. Maybe maybe they're very, very similar. I think but, they're pretty close. Uh You've got Rudy winning the rebounding advantage, 7.6 to 6.9. The blocks advantage, 2 to 1. The shooting percentage, 68%, which is great, Mm -hmm. from uh, Rudy Gobert to just 51% from Steven Adams. I sent that out earlier. Brett Preston just sent a tweet and says, when that position is usually Utah's biggest advantage, meaning uh, the Jazz is usually their biggest advantage. That was loud, JP. (laughs) (laughs) JP screamed in our ear and scared both of us, woke us up. Good thing it's... Uh, getting a little bit late. JP's good for that. Uh, Brett Peter Brett Preston said, when the center position is usually Utah's biggest advantage, it's a problem when they've played so equally against one another. I agree, but don't overlook that Steven Adams is usually one of the Thunder's biggest advantages as well. Yeah. Steven Adams, every time he goes out, is the best center on the floor with few exceptions, and one of those exceptions is when he plays against Rudy Gobert. Yeah, he's got a case. He's got an all-NBA case. I mean, he really does, and, and he's certainly got a most improved player case with how well he's played this season and again on both ends of the floor he's really a unique impact impactful uniquely impactful player um in terms of guys who you have to game plan for on the offensive end i think steven adams is yeah like i say number two and then obviously paul george is is my number three um just because you know he he is obviously a skilled offensive player and and playoff paul george especially has done some pretty incredible things uh, in, in an indiana pacer uniform um, though he hasn't won some of those series, he's you know done all he can. Carmelo Anthony at this point in his career, I'm happy with every single shot he takes. You yeah, look take at him. yeah, I, I mean uh, maybe not. You don't want to give him the wide open you know corner three kind of shots, but if, I mean him if trying you to can create make a shot them, for himself is great. Yeah, 
Anytime he has to put the ball on the ground and then takes a shot, you've won that possession compared yep. to what the other options are. And there's a lot of other options on the floor because they've got Russell Westbrook, they've got Paul George, and they've got Steven Adams. Yes. Uh, and then a hobbled Corey Brewer, we'll see how close to 100% he is, um, actually can provide some problems. And again, especially in transition, Yeah. Uh, that's where he's best known for making an impact. But if he's that's slowed... Where- He's not going to have that impact. Yes. Uh, that's that, you know, he's not this, you know, Joe Ingles. If you lose 5% of Joe Ingles' athleticism, it's not a huge deal. If you lose 5% of Corey Brewer at his age and kind of his limited skill set, other than being long, athletic, and being able to run the floor, that, that does feel like a much bigger loss. I mean, he was waived by the Lakers, right? Like, let's, let's be honest about how good Corey Brewer is. And while he's been better than that for the Oklahoma City Thunder in, in 18 games, starting 16 of them, uh, you know, he's not a, a plus three point shooter. He's only 28% for his career. Uh, he's, he's not, you know, I, I'm, he's not a, a playmaker by any means. He's averaged one and a half assists during his career. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, he's a nice player, but I, I don't think he's, he, obviously he's not in, in the top fours. The run. nice thing about him though, if you're the Thunder, is you put him on Donovan Mitchell full time. And you say, just lock him up if you can, do your best. And that way, Paul George doesn't have to do it. And Russell Westbrook doesn't have to right. do it. He may not be able to do that. We'll this is the can. Salt City Hoop Show. We're going to talk to Fred Katz when we come back, talking more Thunder. ESPN, 700, Utah's number one sports talk. The Utah College Football Se- We the best music. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops Show, ESPN 700. Andy Larson, the beat writer for the Utah Jazz. Find him on Twitter at Andy B. Larson. I'm Ben Anderson, co-host of Gunther and Ben, right here on ESPN 700. You can find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. And you can find our next guest on Twitter at Fred Katz, the beat writer for the Oklahoma City Thunder. It is Fred Katz. Fred, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Hey, thanks. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Fred. Hey, so obviously we're we're excited to see you. Uh, excited for this Oklahoma City Jazz matchup in the first round. Give me your your kind of initial thoughts when you you learned that the Thunder would be playing the Jazz. Well, uh, do you want to know my basketball thoughts or like my very beat writery thoughts? Give me your your basketball thoughts. So as, as much fun as like I, I I know you like Salt Lake City in in the springtime, but uh, <laughs> basketball <laughs> thoughts well, is honestly my. Yeah, my, my beat writery thought was really that I can now pick up my dry cleaning on Friday because I don't have to be on an airplane, which is very nice. But from a basketball thought, I think it's going to be a good series. Like, I think the two teams are pretty evenly matched. I, I feel pretty confident that we're going to be destined for six or seven games. I think the Adams-Gobert matchup is going to be really fun for, like, basketball nerds because both those guys are – they're very similar types of players, you know, both – Phenomenal, maybe the two best screen setters in the NBA, both really good defensive players, obviously Gobert. I mean, I think Gobert's probably going to win defensive player of the year. A little bit different types of defensive centers. I think Adam's a little more perimeter oriented. Gobert's more rim oriented, but that's going to be a really fun matchup for just like the basketball nerds who, who want to be able to watch that. Uh, I think Quinn Snyder is a phenomenal coach, uh, and, and I think he's probably going to going to give the Thunder some trouble with, with things he's going to throw at them. So I, I think it's going to be a, a, a hard-fought series, and I really enjoy watching the Jazz play. They're, they're like one of my favorite league pass teams, so I, I'm excited for it. 
Jazz fans, I think, were concerned about drawing the Thunder because of the star power on the team as opposed to playing a Spurs who the Jazz played well against this year or the Pelicans who the Jazz played well against. How do you think the Thunder felt about drawing the Jazz? Was that an ideal matchup or was there someone else they would have played? Uh, I don't think it's ideal. <laughs> I don't think any time that you play a team that is 29 and 6 in its last 35 games is ideal. Uh, and I know Utah's got like a they're like plus 12 for 100 possessions during that streak, which is best in the NBA by a very wide margin and the defense has been like 5 points for 100 possessions in that stretch better than any other defense in the NBA. I think I think any time that you face a team that is playing that well and it doesn't seem to be fluky and it doesn't seem to be just like a team getting hot, seems to be like this is them. Like I don't know if you played with this iteration of the Jazz for 82 games that would have quite that winning percentage, but this seems like uh, the quality of a, at least a 55-win team that they're going up against So and not a 48-win team. So I think any time you go up against that in the first round, even if you you know kind of end up sneaking into home court advantage, like – and that's not optimal. I think there are better matchups for the Thunder, without question. Well, let me ask you, kind of, what, where do you see the Jazz being able to impact what the Thunder do um, with that kind of defense? You know, is it is it? Do you think they'll be limiting Russell Westbrook's efficiency? Is it? Do you think they'll be forcing Carmelo Anthony to take a lot of bad shots? You know, like what? How do you expect to see that kind of play out in in action? Yeah. So. I think what's really interesting about Utah is the way they play their drop coverage and pick and roll. Like they really sink go bare back near the basket. And it, it tends to go Westbrook into a lot of mid range jump shots. Like those last, so I kind of discount that first game that, I mean, to, to, to a degree, you have to discount all four games they played this year because Gobert missed two of them. And Andre Robertson played in all of them. And the Thunder were like at their peak struggles the first time that they played the Jazz. And during the three Jazz losses, that's when the Jazz were at their peak midseason struggles. So, like, all those games don't really count. But I think one thing you can take away, because the coverages will probably be about similar, is that Russell Westbrook in those three December games combined to take 28 mid-range shots. And that's not really a coincidence. And he made a really high percentage of them. But that's because the Jazz give up those shots, and Russell will take them. And – uh Russell and Steven Adams, when they're running their pick and roll and they're really gelling with that, that's when the Thunder offense is at its best because defenses have to react to that. It's one of the best pick and roll combinations in the NBA. And all of a sudden you got Carmelo Anthony, who whether he's making his shots or not, defense is still really respect. And Paul George is obviously a tremendous shooter and, and really showed that off, even though he's been slumping lately, really showed that off in the final game of the season. You've got those two guys there. So I'm really curious to see how Westbrook is going to do in terms of just his decision-making in that process. Because if he pulls up from mid-range a lot, he could end up costing the Thunder a couple of – I shouldn't say costing the Thunder a lot of games, but he could end up uh, helping the Thunder into some inefficient offensive performances because he could just end up becoming way too reliant on the mid-range shot. And I think Carmelo Anthony, who definitely isn't as reliant on the mid-range uh, today as he was in the beginning of the year, could end up falling into that trap too – on certain occasions. Like, he took 13 mid-range shots the first time these two teams played. And that was a different Thunder team. They were playing, like, way more uncomfortably together. But I think that's something that is going to going to be a theme for them. And you can look at the other side, too. I mean, the Thunder, like, Toronto plays a drop coverage, and the Thunder just use that to just attack Jonas Valanciunas like crazy. Obviously, Jonas Valanciunas, very different defender than Rudy Gobert. But if Adams can get ahead of steam and Russell Westbrook can get ahead of steam or – Maybe Gobert, you end up getting two fouls on him early or something like that. 
then you could swing it the other way. So I do think that's sort of coverage from the Jazz, and they're going to make adjustments throughout the series, which I can't think of because Quinn Snyder is much smarter than me. But those, those, like within those elements of the game, I think that's going to be super integral to how this series ends up going, basically how the Thunder execute when they're in those specific situations. Fred Katz is our guest, ESPN 700, beat writer for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, Fred, you talked about how well the Jazz have been playing over their last 30 we haven't seen the most consistent play from the Oklahoma City Thunder, what they've won six of their last ten, but did play really well those last three games they needed to get wins going into the playoffs. How confident do you think the Thunder are heading into the postseason? Oh, they're confident. Like, Russell Westbrook, I don't think it's a hot take to say Russell Westbrook is a confident man in general. And I don't think it's a hot take to say the same thing about Carmelo Anthony. And, uh, and Steven Adams is just kind of, from a personality standpoint, he's just, he's a totally unfazed human being. Uh, you know, he, he could go out in a February game against Memphis that means nothing, and he'll just kind of play the exact same way that he would during Game 7 of the Finals. Uh, so I, I don't think, and Paul George really has a, has a history of being a really good playoff performer, so I, I think they're very confident. They've been saying all year that they beat the good teams, it's been true against the very, 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 very best teams. They're six and three against Toronto, Golden State, and Houston, the three teams with the best record in the NBA. Hasn't been as true against the rest of the Western Conference. The Jazz were the only team in that, you know, jumble that Defender had the tiebreaker on. But I think they are confident in that. I don't think they're looking through tiebreakers and being like, Oh, we lost tiebreakers to a bunch of teams, don't have a chance. I, I don't think that's what they're doing right now. I think they're uh confident and reliant on their talent and uh I, I do think they have played some better basketball this last week or so than than they have in a while. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about the Carmelo Anthony Derek Favors matchup, um, and and kind of I, I get the sense that Carmelo Anthony has earned some scorn from from Thunder fans um, for his performances with the Thunder this year. I, I, I guess how do you see that matchup playing out, and if need be, do you see Billy Donovan? benching Carmelo Anthony and, and, you know, maybe giving Jaron Grant a, a chance at, at that position down the stretch. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, you know, Billy has played, played, uh, played Grant instead of Melo in some situations recently. Grant is so improved. Like I know Steven Adams is going to be like legitimately on most improved player ballots. And I've seen some writers say that they have him on their ballots and Steven Adams has been really good this year, obviously. And Jeremy, but I think there is an argument, like a niche argument to be made. Not that Jeremy Grant should be on a most improved ballot, but that he's more improved than Steven Adams is this mm. year. Uh, if you look at since January 28th, it's like he woke up one day. He used to just not be able to finish around the rim. Like he was legitimately bad at it. And then it's like on January 28th, he woke up and decided, I'm just going to be outrageously efficient around the rim. And he added all these layup moves. And it really did start on this date. He took six free throws on that game. It was against Philadelphia. Uh, and, and from that game on, he's been unbelievable. He's averaging over seven free throws per 36 minutes. The only guys ahead of him, like the two guys directly behind him in free throws per 36 minutes were qualifying players in that time. The two guys behind him in the league leaders are Russell Westbrook and LeBron James. The guy ahead of him is Giannis. Like, he is in elite company. The other ones ahead of him are, like, Harden and Anthony Davis and Damian Lillard and Jimmy Butler. Like, it is Joel Embiid. Like, these are legitimate all-stars. And obviously, Jeremy Grant is not a legitimate all-star. 
But he is elite at that now. He's elite at getting to the line, and it's brought him to like a 65% true shooting percentage during that time. He's a tremendous athlete. He can block some shots. Still gets out of position a little bit defensively, but he can make a little bit more of an impact. I think that could happen. I also think on the other end, like I want to see if Carmelo Anthony gets really hot from three, I wonder how quickly Utah ends up going to to Jay Crowder because I know – that starters lineup with Crowder just has the most ridiculous success. They're like, what, plus 27 for 100 possessions right now? Yeah, it's crazy. It's absurd. I mean, it's been arguably the best lineup in the NBA since Utah traded for Crowder over the last two months. So I wonder if, like, you almost don't want Melo to be hitting too many threes because you don't want to encourage Utah to go to the go to the Crowder small ball lineup too quickly, even, even though those – the, you know, the, the, the favor starters lineup has been, you know, unbelievable according to the metrics as well. Fred, how is Donovan Mitchell viewed nationally? I know Jazz fans have the utmost faith in him and believe he can go in and take over a series like that, and he might be able to. How do, how do national uh, viewers look at him? How do you look at him? How do you think Thunder fans view him? I think he's a star. Um, I, don't, I don't know how Thunder fans would view him. Um, because I, honestly, I don't know if casual fans have that much of an of like like casual fans might have an opinion, but I don't think they have that much of an educated opinion because casual fans just aren't really studying rookies from other markets all that much. Uh, I think I think he's I think he's phenomenal. Uh, I I don't know how he's going to do. I've got a playoff preview coming out tomorrow, and and one of the elements in my like five things to watch that I talked about is like. And I genuinely don't know the answer to this question because we haven't really seen a rookie take on this much, this many offensive responsibilities for a legitimately good playoff team in years. I mean, he's the first rookie to lead his team in scoring since Carmelo Anthony, uh, a playoff team in scoring since Carmelo Anthony 14 years ago. So I I don't know how that's going to play out, like how he's going to react to not just being loaded up on, because obviously that happens to him already, but being loaded up on, with mid-game adjustments from coaches and from players and guys understanding his tendencies and guys being able to kind of make these subtle mid-series playoff changes to try to try to gang up on him more. And he's probably going to be guarded by an extraordinary defender in Paul George on top of all that. So I think that I could see him having some rookie moments in the postseason, but I could also just like, I keep watching him and thinking like, Man, like he could just go 05 Dwayne Wade on everybody in the playoffs this year, and I would be wholly unsurprised. Hmm. Like, Dwayne Wade was a second year player then. I think he was only 21 years old, and he had a great regular season. People were like, well, it's first year in the playoffs. You know, who knows what's going to end up happening? And he averaged like 27 a game, was just dropping 30 routinely. And like, people were like, oh, well, this guy's not just going to be really good. Like, this guy is going to be, you know, uh, you know, a guy who's going to be up there with his generation. And, like, I feel like Donovan Mitchell has that potential, and I would be completely unsurprised if he did a similar thing during the postseason this year. But I just – I don't know. Like, yeah. he could still be that even if he doesn't do it, you know? Do you, do you think Paul George ends up guarding him most of the time, or do you think they'll have him off the ball and have, you know, Corey Brewer chase him around to be, to begin the game? Well, I think it depends on Corey Brewer's health. Because okay. Corey's got a knee sprain right, right. now, and – uh, I think they're hopeful that he's going to play game one, but it's certainly not locked in. Um, I think it also depends on how Utah ends up guarding Corey Brewer. Like, the Jazz, 
I don't know if it's going to happen to the extreme in game one, but at some point in that series, the Jazz are going to be helping off Corey Brewer and just saying, shoot the ball if you get it. We don't care. We're going to play with a free safety. They're going to be giving them the Andre Robertson or Tony Allen treatment in that series at some point. And uh, if that's what they're doing, the Thunder might have to pull Corey Brewer and they might have to go with Alex Sabrinas. They might have to go with Terrence Ferguson. Uh, and if, if that, or maybe even just a big lineup, depending on who they're going against with Jeremy Grant. So it, it kind of depends on that. I think they'll probably rotate on and off of them. I think we're going to see Westbrook guarding Ricky Rubio. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think Brewer guarding, um, Brewer guarding Mitchell is, is definitely going to happen some. And the Thunder really like Paul George off the ball because I think he's a little bit better as an off ball defender than on ball. But if Mitchell gets hot, like, I, I think you're going to end up seeing uh, Paul George, or at least you should end up seeing Paul George on him a, a decent amount. All right, one last question for you quickly. Uh, Steven Adams, obviously, we talk about his impact against Rudy Gobert, but the offensive rebounding, how do you stop Steven Adams from getting offensive rebounds, if at all? Can you? No. I mean, <laughs> okay. God, if I, I've never seen it. Okay, so yeah, it's, it, it may just not be possible. You know, I, I was looking at the the rebounding numbers, and the Jazz have the best defensive rebounding percentage in the league since Rudy Gobert came back. So that maybe gave me some uh, some confidence there. But obviously, Oklahoma City and, and what Stephen Adams has done offensive rebounding wise is is incredible. Yeah, I mean he's he's the ninth or tenth guy in NBA history to average five offensive rebounds a game. I mean it's a it's amazing. Uh, I, I mean. The formula, if you were going to just limit him, is you have to nail your rotational box outs. Like, there have been some games where he's gotten, you know, two. And (laughs) you have to nail your rotational box outs. Because if you don't, Adams is just going to feast on guys, and you have to hit him low on those rotational box outs. And if you mess up, it's not just that, I mean, he might be the strongest guy in the league. It's not just his strength and his size that allows him to do it. I mean, he is uh, one of one of the smartest, like he has one of the highest basketball IQs of any player I've ever spoken to. He understands the game in a way that like you talk to him and I go to him for like X's nose questions over the coaches. Like he is, he understands the X's nose of the game to like an outrageous degree. Like that guy, if he wants to, he's a future, he's a future head coach in the NBA. And he understands all these ways to beat these rotational box outs too. So you have to nail those and you're not going to keep them off the glass, like always. Uh, but maybe you can annoy him enough to where he's a little bit worse. And I think that's, you know, it's, you know, the same thing. It's like asking Andy, it's like asking, how do you stop Joe Ingles? You just can't. You just got to hope to contain him. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> that's exactly right. Joe Ingles, superstar. Never forget it. You can find him on Twitter at Fred Katz. You can read him in the Norman transcript where he's the Oklahoma City Thunder beat writer. Fred, great stuff. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. There he is, Fred Katz, giving us a good breakdown on the Oklahoma City Thunder. Let's also say this, and I'm not. This is not diminishing what you get from uh, uh, Stephen Adams down low as an offensive rebounder. There's also just kind of some logical, strategic stuff of why you get so many offensive rebounds because the guy in the NBA who puts the most pressure on the rim at the point guard position is Russell Westbrook. Yes. So he gets to the rim, and the big has to come over and help because he's just too good otherwise. So when he comes over and helps, that means the big is no longer boxing out Steven Adams, and Steven Adams decides to crash instead of getting back on defense and gets those offensive rebounds. But, you know, it's the Kobe assist that we've talked about in the past. Similar idea. He takes a shot. He draws so much attention that there's an opportunity to grab that rebound and put it back in. Yeah. Russ does that as well. It is why there is value to having big or, or 
guards get to the rim so quickly. Yeah, and and that's where what Fred talking about those rotational box outs matter is you got to have a Donovan Mitchell, a Ricky Rubio, a yep. Royce O'Neal kind of come in there and, and get at Steven Adams' knees a little bit and prevent him from getting Dive right underneath the rim. to his knees. And yet, you know, I don't know that you'll be able to. You know, again, watching these games, these Oklahoma City Thunder, Utah Jazz games from this season, over and over again, Steven Adams was able to push those kind of guys out of position yeah. to get those rebounds and well, those so easy putbacks because, you, you know, he is the strongest player in the league. I, I, I don't think that that's a, a crazy statement to make. So, um, yeah, again, to me, that's, that's why he's so high up on, on the Thunder scouting report is because just with Russell Westbrook and Steven Adams alone, that pick and roll, that rebounding, that defense can, can really, uh, you know, win them games, even ignoring the Paul George and Carmelo Anthony side of things. You know, there's a couple things you can do. As we mentioned, you can try and put bodies on him. You can try and get Derek Favors out there to be an extra body, and you can double box out somebody. You know, you yep. can have Gobert and Favors put two bodies, and you see it. You'll see guys who are dominant rebounders have two rebounders go up against him to prevent it from happening. And you can also burn them going the other direction mm-hmm. and say, well, if Russell Westbrook's getting to the rim— and Steven Adams is under the rim as well, trying to get offensive rebounds. Well, you've got two guys already committed 94 feet away from the hoop. Just go fast the other way. Yeah. Now, that's dangerous also because you get into a sprinting match with Russell Westbrook, and that's exactly what the Thunder want. But also you can burn them, and the Jazz have shown with Donovan Mitchell, with Dante Exum at times, and even just the ability to shoot transition threes now. The, the Jazz will burn you in transition if they can. They don't do it often, but with Royce O'Neal even, who's shown a, a willingness to do it, the Jazz will burn you in transition if they get the opportunity. Yeah, and they're certainly no longer the slowest team in the league. I I know they're, they're, they're 25th, which doesn't sound like anything special, but for where they have been in the last three years, Ricky Rubio has really kind of changed uh, what this team can do in, in transition, and you know, obviously Donovan's pretty good too. You can tweet at us at Andy B. Larson at Ben's Hoops on Twitter. You've got questions about the uh, Utah Jazz taking on the Oklahoma City Thunder in the first round. We're here to answer them. We'll even take your calls, 877-353-0700, 877-353-0700. Uh, we haven't talked a ton about Donovan Mitchell. Here's my thought on him, and I used this uh, this comparison or, or kind of this example earlier today, but I, I really do strongly think it's true. He's one of the fastest learners I've ever seen in the mm-hmm. NBA. Uh, and the coaches all say the same thing. If you show him something, he's going to show it on the floor that night. He doesn't need to have it worked into his game over several weeks. It's it's an overnight thing, or it's a you know yeah. it's a next play type of thing. You can game plan Donovan Mitchell and probably put him in a spot like you saw him last night, and maybe you even see that in game one. But he's too smart and he's too talented. He's going to figure out what you're doing. He's going to fix it, and then you can't stop him. Yep. And we saw him do that against New Orleans this year on the road where he was horrible through two and a half quarters and then made one ridiculous layup against Anthony Davis where he got fouled, went up and under, and finished on the backside. And then the game was over. It mm-hmm. just didn't matter. It didn't matter that Anthony Davis was out there. It didn't matter that Drew Holiday was out there. It didn't matter that Rudy Gobert was out there. Donovan Mitchell was the best player on the floor every possession down. And the Jazz ended up beating the the, the Pelicans by... 15, like yeah. 20 points in that game, even though the Pelicans, I thought, had been the better team throughout. He will do that, and the fear is that he can do that for an entire series. Because if he learns you in game one, if he learns the game plan in game one, and you can't counter that, which he'll, they'll try, but yeah. if, he, if he figures out that counter ability, good luck. And that's when he does turn into 05 Dwayne Wade, where he can go off for 30 a night, because he can be that guy. And that's what was so encouraging about his performances against Andrew Overson earlier on in the year. Uh, Robertson is one of the best defenders, on-ball defenders in the league, maybe the best. You can really make yeah. that case that had he played 82 games this year, he's the defensive player of the year based on how good Oklahoma City's defense was early. 
uh, and Donovan was still able to to score and and score in bunches against against Roberson and you know get 31 points in in their December 5th matchup and then in their December 23rd matchup he scored 29 against Roberson on 12 of 16 shooting so like you know I, I think Donovan has real potential in this series and, and I think they do defend it differently than you know the Portland Trailblazers the Atlanta Hawks the teams that the Jazz have struggled with where they drop the big the Blazers or sorry the 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 Thunder do that but I think Stephen Adams is is not the kind of uh, difficult player that I, I that we saw, uh, and and honestly, Westbrook as far as trailing Donovan Mitchell in that pick and roll doesn't do as well as good of a job as as the Blazers did last night. So I, I think we are going to see more efficient and better performances than Don, from Donovan Mitchell. That you know, I, I expect him to lead the Jazz in scoring in this series. Does he have to shoot threes? Yeah, I I mean he I, will because so. he's just going to, and you know he's going to get opportunities to shoot it. I'm curious what we see if he can go full Russell Westbrook and just say, you know what? Full head of steam. I'm going to the rim as often as possible. Because he's he's great when he does it. Now, he's not always perfect. I don't and, know. And if, last night he was very bad when yeah. he was just trying to get to the rim at all costs. But he's also settling for 10-footers, 12-footers. Right. I'm talking about get to the paint, get to the rim, and, and just draw fouls if you can do it over and over. I'm wondering if he can be that player. And that might be his breakout because that is what Dwayne Wade did. Because Dwayne Wade never shot threes. Yeah. Couldn't I- shoot threes. I think the league, the, the way le- the league has been officiated has changed okay. in the last 13 years. So that where Dwayne Wade got a lot of calls where, you know, yes, the, he ran into someone and, and got someone off balance and ran into them and put up a shot and, and the referees used to send them to the line for two shots. I don't think Donovan Mitchell, A, has that level of respect yet amongst NBA officials and B, uh, the NBA officials are, are prioritizing verticality as kind of the solution to Dwayne Wade hacking the system, if you will, in 2005. I, I, I think he, uh, I, I think if if Donovan Mitchell puts his head down and goes to the rim on every play, I think he's going to struggle. And uh, hmm. yeah, we we I, I think we saw that last night. Yes, he missed a lot of floaters, but he missed a lot of three foot shots where you know Nurkic is standing right over you and you're 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 just helped out of the play a little bit. He, he needs to make the right play. This is the Salt City Hoop Show. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to look around the rest of the NBA, talk about the different playoff matchups that have been laid out in the first round. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. It's Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Feeling a little down about the football season end? You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. Hope everyone's having a fabulous Thursday. Uh, it's the Salty Hoop Show. We go from 7 to 9 as yeah, often yeah. as we can. Well, at least once a week usually. We've been a little off because of the uh, the uh, March Madness and because of uh, late season Utah Jazz basketball has interfered on Tuesdays and Thursdays. But uh, we always love jumping on. Andy's the beat writer for the Utah Jazz at KSL.com. You can find him on Twitter at Andy B. Larson. I'm the co-host of Gunther and Ben right here on ESPN 700 Monday through Friday. You can find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. Let's talk non-Utah Jazz playoff basketball. Let's look at these seven other series and break down what we've got. Uh, I think the idea of a Rockets-Timberwolves, like just by name value of the players <laughs> yeah. there, seems fun. But if you know anything about the Timberwolves and their inability to A, play defense, right. B, stop the three, or C, stop anyone at the rim... This is just a. This is the worst matchup you could have drawn for the Timberwolves for anybody. Yeah, it's like uh, you know. I think Jimmy Butler gives them some credibility on James Harden, right? Uh, but then Chris Paul and 
Clint Capella and Eric Gordon and right. every, you know everyone else they just don't have any matchup for. And, and the Rockets are smart enough to just let Jamal Crawford take bad shots yeah, and, right. and attack him every single time. And like literally every time Jamal Crawford's on the floor, the Rockets are brutal and rude enough to be like, okay, we're going to switch Jamal Crawford on James Harden, and James Harden will score every possession. Every possession will get to the free throw line. Yeah. But yeah, and- he's going to average... Yeah, honestly, 1.8 points per possession while he's being guarded by Jamal Crawford. And that's that's the thing about today's NBA is, in, in my mind, it's at least as much about who your worst player is on the floor as much as your best player is on the floor. Uh, the the Timberwolves just have some lineups right now where they just don't have good lineups. You know, they they have to play someone bad. Yeah. And uh, that's Jamal Crawford. That's Derrick Rose got minutes last night yeah. in, a, in a you know a playoff play-in game. Right. Just the kind of stuff you can't have. Happen. Yeah, then they don't have a choice. Uh, that was a good game last night. I was surprised they beat yeah. Denver, honestly. I, I thought Denver was going to beat them. It was at home. Had it been in Denver, I think Denver would have won that game. Yeah, probably. But, you know, they've got some nice pieces. It's not a great team, but they've got some nice pieces. Yeah. You even saw it last night with Taj Gibson, who played very good minutes on Nikola Jokic late in that game. But still, like, you can't be talking about how good Taj Gibson is at this point in this season. I, I like Taj Gibson, sure. but yeah, it is, he's not giving you, like, who does Taj Gibson guard in this Rocket series that gives you right. anything? Right, yeah. You know, like, yeah, it, it's just... He's a really, he's actually a particularly tough matchup for Jokic because Jokic isn't, you know, a vertical threat. Right. As far as he's not going to go up and catch lobs necessarily. Now, Clint Capella is going to just go up we'll and catch lobs on him. and you just pull Taj out. Yeah. You just can't do anything. Taj can't do anything at that point. Yep. Uh, all right, next series. Portland taking on the New Orleans Pelicans. Again, cool the, name. The porno value. series. Yeah, the porno series. Are we allowed to say that on air? Sure. Portland. That's, the, we're just, New they're Orleans. They're just the cities. The porno series. Uh, it sounds like it should be cool because you've got uh, <laughs> the guy who's going to finish number two or number three overall in MVP voting in Anthony Davis and the guy who's going to finish number five or number six overall in Damian Lillard in MVP voting and maybe two all-NBA first-team players but this just feels so lopsided to me. Yeah, me too. And and again, you have like in a favor good of defender uh, on the primary ball handler in that I love Drew Holiday. Drew and I think amazing. he's a very good defender uh, on Damian Lillard. I don't know that Alvin Gentry is a good coach. I'm still there. I, uh, I don't. Yeah, sure. I, I'm I'm out on Alvin Alvin Gentry, and and so I think Terry Stotts is going to coach circles around him. I think they're going to find some solutions for Anthony Davis, make him take the the shots he doesn't want to take, and then. You just have to believe a lot if you're you're a Pelicans fan and in Rondo and Etwan Moore and Ian Clark and right uh, and I don't uh, believe in those guys. Yeah, and, and Nico Mirotic, I guess. And it's yeah, I I don't either. I don't think New Orleans wins a game in that series. Wow, honestly, I think I, I'm not going that far. I think Anthony, Anthony Davis can win you one or two games on your own, and and maybe Drew takes Dame out of a game for. I just one here's or two. the thing with with these guys now. James Harden's one of them. Uh, Russell Westbrook's probably one of them, though he doesn't shoot the three really enough well well enough to do it. But Damian Lillard certainly in that conversation. Steph is obviously maybe the guy who created this. There are some players who are just with the current NBA rules, the way the game is being officiated, the way it's being played, that are honestly unguardable. Yeah, and he's one of them. And you saw it last night. Dame is unguardable. He yeah. when, when, uh, he can shoot from wherever on the floor. He gets by you and can finish at the rim. He's unguardable. He got thirteen baskets last night, and one of them was a layup. Right, and so Drew it's Holiday, just, I don't care that Drew Holiday might be the best point guard defender in the NBA right now. You just can't guard some guys. Yes, I, 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 I'm, I'm with you. You're he right. can guard Ricky Rubio. <laughs> He'll <laughs> give Ricky Rubio hell for 48 minutes. Ricky Rubio's not a good offensive player in the same mold that Damian no, Lillard's a right. good offensive player. Uh, maybe, maybe it goes five games, but I really can see the Pelicans <laughs> okay. uh, getting swept. Golden State against San Antonio. I would have rather seen Golden State play anyone but San Antonio. This just feels so 
Like such a bad matchup with the speed difference on the floor here. But, yeah. you know, the plotting methodical style of San Antonio can keep them in games. Who guards Kevin Durant? Kyle Anderson? Can you put them? Dan- probably Danny Green, I guess. But then who guards Clay? You know, like you just, I think the, the matchup problems are basically, un- you know, just impossible for, for San Antonio. Uh, they don't have kind of the rim protection that you would want against the Warriors that would allow you to guard the perimeter. And, and then, yeah, you're just, uh, are, you know, who scores for you? Is it DeJounte Murray? Is it, it would be obviously beyond LaMarcus Aldridge. Yeah. But. And LaMarcus Aldridge can probably go off for some games. You yeah, know, he, he might average 35 this series. He's you know? again, he's one of those unguardable players. He's not James Harden, but he's a guy who, when he's releasing the ball at 10 feet on his jump shot, it doesn't matter that Draymond Green's incredible. He's not going to be able to yeah. block that shot, and and certainly Lamarcus can go off. But yeah, I think you know Clay Thompson will have huge games, and Kevin Durant's obviously going to have huge games. And there's not going to be much uh, much that San Antonio can do. As good as they could play, there's just not much they're going to be able to do. Yeah, but it, it, you know I, I'm with you. If you would have seen a Golden State Portland series, a Golden State OKC series, a Golden State jazz even Minnesota series, series or you know, Jazz series, Jazz series, I think. Golden State was vulnerable, and yep. they, they got a little bit lucky. Which is unfortunate, because I would have liked to have seen a vulnerable Warriors team get tested in the first round without Steph Curry. Yep. East side, Toronto taking on Washington. We, uh, we're we all 100% guaranteed that Toronto loses game one, because they always lose <laughs> they game always one. They always lose game one. Maybe, and in, in Washington's good enough to take it from them. But and John like, Wall should be back. Yeah. Uh, Washington Soon, should just be now, way right? better than they are, though. E- even with John Wall, I, I haven't been impressed with the Washington Wizards this year, and some of it's Marcin Gortat's uh, downturn. You know, he's just older than he was. Uh, he just hates basketball now. <laughs> some of that. Uh, some of it is Bradley Beal is is been their best player at times, and while he's good, you know, I, I, I he's hasn't been good in the clutch for them. Uh, Otto Porter again is a nice player, but he's he's you know Joe Inglesy, and that you can't really count on him to, to create necessarily. It's just it's it that team should be better than they are and, and they're not and and the Raptors have I, I I think their regular season changes and how they played basketball are going to translate to the playoffs and make it so they they have some real success and and get to the conference finals this year. Uh, and, yeah, they should. Uh, then again, they're supposed to meet LeBron in the second round, assuming that LeBron and the Cavaliers, which is the next uh, matchup, takes on the Indiana Pacers. Yeah, I like the Pacers. Pacers do some things well. I just think Cleveland has LeBron, and that kind of is the eraser. Yeah, and with Kevin Love back, who honestly we haven't given enough credit to, uh, with Kevin Love back, they've been good defensively too. You know, it's not just the offense that's improved for them; it's it, it's the defense. It, it seems like everyone's kind of more on the same page of what they're supposed to do. And um, while they're booing Tristan Thompson out there, Kevin Love has done some really nice things. It, I, you know, I think that's an easy win for Cleveland. Uh, I think I think you're right, and I I would think Cleveland's still going to beat Toronto in the second round. Yeah, that's 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 totally fair. Um, I, I think it's going to be at, at least close. And I'm not saying that I think Cleveland's guaranteed to make the finals. I don't think they are this year. But I, I, I just think what he, what LeBron's able to do against Toronto is just so devastating. Yeah. Because they don't have anyone who's even close to being able to give him a tough few minutes out there, it feels like. He just he runs through that defense as well, and again they do the thing that that we were talking to Fred Katz about that Portland does, that Atlanta does, that the Jazz do. They drop their big, but okay, the Jonas Valanciunas is just going to get dunked on six yeah. times by LeBron. That's the wrong guy to drop it against. I agreed, and and yeah, it's it's a problem. I guess here's what I'm saying: I, I, Toronto, we've been so disappointed with their playoff performances in the last four years, right? 
I think they actually play up to their potential this year. Okay. Now, if they sometimes Kyle Lowry sucks in the playoffs. That's yeah. also a problem. He's just not a good playoff player. That might, you know, I that might still mean they lose to Cleveland, but it'll take a good Cleveland performance to beat them. You can't say that about like them in, in that awful Toronto Miami series last year. Uh, 76ers taking on Miami. That's the what three six matchup. Yeah. Um. You know. Eric Spolster is one of the best coaches in the league. Brett Brown's been really good, and they've won 15 games in a row. Uh, Joel Embiid's health obviously matters a lot for this series, uh, and and I think Miami's going to win a couple of games based on, like, Kelly Olynyk trickery. But Ben Simmons, <laughs> I, I'm serious, like, Kelly Olynyk, the way they use him, and Josh Richardson, like, Miami's best players are guys that just get no... Right, pub around the league. Again, you know, I, saw, I think it was Matt Moore from CBS was talking about this. I, I could be wrong, but who's talking about this? People think Dwayne Wade's Miami's best player. No, he's, he's not. like their eighth best player. Yeah. yeah, it's it's like Josh Richardson and right. and Olenek and Goran Dragic. Goran Dragic, and uh, you know, people think Hassan Whiteside's yeah. good, and he's he's not that. Dragic, I apologize. Yeah, it's it's just reverted uh, to my old ways. Uh, but Philly Philly should win this series. JJ Redick, I think, has been an underrated part of their success. Rocco Robert Covington is so good, really good. Um. You know, and they, no one can stop Ben Simmons. It's true. Let's be honest. You know, and I don't think anyone can necessarily stop Donovan Mitchell. Now, Don, and I, you know, we don't need to bring one up when we talk about the other. That it's not a slight to talk about Donovan Mitchell or Ben Simmons as being unstoppable. Donovan Mitchell really is unstoppable. Now, he wasn't great last night, and Ben Simmons wasn't great last night either. Actually, if you looked at the numbers, but uh, Ben Simmons is great. He's just huge. He's really good with the ball in his hands. He's athletic. He scores at the rim. When he's inside of yeah. 15 feet, he's very dynamic, and very few teams have an answer for that. Though, you've got a guy who can block shots. He's not necessarily a rim protector, but he blocks shots. Or I guess a, he's not a low-post defender, but he blocks shots in Hassan Whiteside. He's caught up a little bit to his defensive rotation, yeah. but he, he's still a guy that you can kind of game plan out of the game, and, and Philly's one of those teams that they can go small and, yeah. and, and force them off. Uh, and then you have the Boston Celtics taking on the Milwaukee Bucks. Again, Milwaukee is, in my mind, a team that should be better than they are, except they've had Jason Kidd, who was a, a coach in over his head and was clearly implementing the wrong scheme. And then Joe Prunty, their interim, uh, hasn't been able to fix those problems, maybe because he hasn't had a time, you know, a training camp to yeah. try to teach them how to play kind of normal NBA defense. And so they look lost on the defensive end. You're right uh, with Eric Bledsoe and Giannis Antetokounmpo. They ought to be able to beat a shorthanded Boston and team. Jabari Parker, and, yeah, and, and they you know, and they will not. You don't. I, I, I mean, I think they have a chance. They have a chance, but I don't think they're going to. I think Brad Stevens is going to outcoach them and and going to win Boston the series. That's like, I mean, so Marcus Smart isn't going to be playing either. They I would say Milwaukee. Horf- they still have Al Horford. They yeah. still have Jalen Brown. They still have Jason Tatum. Yeah, they've got enough to win that that's, series. That's probably true. Which you know, I think that shows the value of of coaching, right? Well, yeah, it shows got- how underachieving. Milwaukee is and, and how good Brad Stevens yeah. is. Let's you know, I, I Brad Stevens is a top three coach in the league. Milwaukee's coaching situation, if you will, is I think you can argue bottom three in the league. All right, when we come back, we'll preview Game One between the Jazz and the Thunder. They get ready to take off, uh, take on one another coming up here on Sunday. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. This is the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. How would you like to be in the house when the Jazz open the playoffs? This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. He's Andy Larson, the beat writer for the Utah Jazz at KSL.com. I'm Ben Anderson, co-host of Gunther and Ben right here on ESPN 700, Monday through Friday. Andy, what are you expecting game one Sunday afternoon? The Jazz getting ready to take on the Oklahoma City Thunder in Oklahoma City. OKC is favored by three and a half, I think. I saw that. 
it's it it could go either way. I mean, I, I think there's a real possibility that the Jazz are still confused and frustrated by playoff physicality and and kind of struggle with that out of the gate. Um, I could see a Russell Westbrook kind of wanting to put on his, his stamp on the series early, uh, and, and I could see the Jazz kind of having a uh, transition process in terms of playing the playoffs. On the other hand, I, I don't know that, you know, I, I think Quinn Snyder's really going to have them ready for the series. I think he's been thinking about the Oklahoma City series and, and game and matchup since Monday, kind of when sure. we, Sunday even, when we thought this was likely given the, the outcomes. Um, and, and so they've had some time to, to figure out what the Thunder do well and, and to, to work against that. And, and I think that's, if anything, we know that Quinn Snyder is, is good at making those adjustments and, and surprising teams, making it difficult for them. Uh, in a way that no other NBA team has done for teams in the last three months of the year. Uh, I'm curious to see if the Jazz can avoid a slow start. They've had some slow starts over the last couple of weeks, which have been bizarre. Yeah. They've early... had some fast starts, too, though. You know, like Lakers, they got out to 19-4. Right. right, and if you can continue to do that, that would be ideal because, you know, put your foot on the throat of the other team as quickly as you can as opposed to having it the other way around where you end up having to call a timeout two minutes into the game because you're down nine to two, which we've right. seen a few times now. Mm-hmm. And it gives the other team confidence and they've seen the shot. They've seen the ball go in the hole a few times. And, and that really does. That means something teams feed off of that, whether that works for the whole series or not, or a whole game or not is one thing, but it, it certainly makes you feel confident on what your game plan is doing when you see the ball going through the hoop and you know that it's working. Uh, I think the Jazz are going to keep this game close. It, I, it would I be too. great if the Jazz could win game one. That's by far the best game to win if you're the road team because then you're not being asked to win three games in a row, game two, game three, and game four, just to protect home court advantage after you steal it away. So if you can come out and surprise a team, win game one, that would be ideal. And you're probably going to have the least healthy Corey Brewer over the yeah. stretch, which is the best thing the Jazz can get. That's a good point. Um, I'm really curious to see how the bench does, and, and in particular what impact Dante Exum can have on this series. Um, he is a lot faster and more dynamic than Raymond Felton. A little bit. <laughs> so they're the they're uh, polar uh, opposite players. You look at that play the same position. Yep. You look at what he should be able to do, and it's he should be able to torch Oklahoma City's bench units. He he really should be. And then uh, I I think we have seen some times where he should be able to do that and and hasn't been able to. You know, and, and last night being one of those where he thinks he has the advantage, doesn't, and ends up taking some bad shots or or committing turnovers. I could also see a civil war breaking out between Australia and New Zealand, where <laughs> you see Stephen Adams murder Dante Exum murder. going to the rim. That figured Joe Ingles going to the rim could sure. be murdered. Uh, I mean, he w- I could see him knocking Dante. Uh, Exum off balance oh. more than anyone I've ever because Dante just gets he jumps and he has no balance anymore. Yeah, there's da- no axis. There's nothing. There's you know. There's no center of gravity. It's just air. Dante and, is like yeah, fifty percent Alec Burks in that way. Of yeah, like you you and worry. even worse because it seems like Alec oh, Burks think? has a little bit of body control. At least he can contort himself mm. how he wants. I don't think Dante can even choose what he wants to do once he gets in the air. You know, I I think with with Dante he he can land on the ground more. He lands on the ground more frequently than Alec. It seems like sure. every Alec on his layup. Feet. It, yes, that's what I yeah, yeah. on his feet. Yeah, they all land like every on the Alec. <laughs> Good point. That one guy who never landed <laughs> on the ground that was crazy. <laughs> he just kept going. Uh, Alec. Every layup attempt seems like a five-on-four going back the other way, right? Correct. Dante doesn't always have that problem. He sometimes has that problem. I, I, I think that's a potential X factor for the Jazz, that if they do have that advantage, it's great. Uh, and it, it could be disappointing. And, and you know, honestly, it, it depends a lot for what Dante Exum makes this summer, too. 
I'm curious about what Donovan Mitchell looks like in his first mm-hmm. playoff game. I think everyone is. I'm curious to see how he bounces back after a bad performance against Portland yesterday. I think he's going to shock, you know, he's going to impress some people who haven't seen him. I also, yeah, don't think he's the type of guy who gets down because he had a bad game because he doesn't get bad. He doesn't get down when he takes a bad shot or when he has a bad quarter. The idea that that would stick with him for five days before he gets to play on Sunday, I think is nonsensical. He's yeah. just not a guy who has any type of conscience. He really, I'm not comparing him to this player, but he's got some Kobe Bryant in this game. Yeah. I mean, there is some, oh, good. I'm five for 23. I'm probably going to hit my next four shots, so I'm going to take the next four shots. Honestly, I think Wade is the the better yeah, comparison there sure. because he had the same thing of like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep attacking you, right. no matter what. And it was it was more of an attacking than maybe taking that, you know, taking bad shots. And right. I, I think Donovan does a decent job of uh, of avoiding that. Uh, I you know I was thinking about it, looking at Donovan's season now that we now that it's in the books. Quinn Snyder started him after a three for twenty one game yep. in Philadelphia. Put him in. Put him in. We won. <laughs> I asked Quinn about that in Portland. I was like, "Look, you, why did you? Why were you so confident that this would be the right move?" And he said, "I, I knew even then that Donovan Mitchell was our best offensive player." <laughs> think about that. Like yeah. that's that's pretty crazy. I, I, you know, so I think that level of confidence, even after a bad game in Portland, I think Mitchell might might press a little bit, but he'll be the Jazz's best offensive player in this series, and and that's incredibly exciting for what they can be. We got a question several hours ago at 540. I apologize. We're getting to it three hours later. <laughs> really quick. Still listening. Going into next season, what pieces besides experience does this team need to put into contender status? Stretch four, more bench scoring. Love the show, guys. Thanks, Dayman. Uh, I think what actually, I think you need that ne- that guy next to uh, Donovan Mitchell who can kind of create off the dribble because the yeah. Jazz really don't have that guy. Agreed. Um, and that's where, like, we're watching that Minnesota-Denver game yesterday. Someone like Will Barton, who will be a free agent this year, uh, would be a really nice addition for the Jazz yeah. if, if he, because he is a player who can play within a system yet has that off the off the bounce dribble uh, ability and and doesn't kill you on the defensive end either. I, I I like that idea a lot if he's if he's reasonably inexpensive. Follow Andy always, but certainly during the playoffs as the Jazz are taking on the Oklahoma City Thunder and Andy will be traveling yep. to all the games on Twitter at Andy B Larson. Read him at KSL dot com. Make sure you catch me tomorrow as we talk about it a lot on our show as well. It's Gunther and Ben two to six right here on ESPN seven hundred. Big thanks to our producer JP Chunga. Find him on Twitter at JP underscore. Chunga. Hopefully we're back with you again next week. It's the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700, Utah's number one sports talk.